Today's time of teaching focuses on Psalm 42, the words of a temple worker who for some reason was unable to join God's people in worship for a season. We don't know why, but we do know how he feels about it. And I think what he's got to say, you'll be able to connect with emotionally after the week we've had and the day that we are having today. Let's look together at Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go out with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is downcast before me, and therefore I remembered you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So there we have it, the song of a lovesick psalmist, and he loves being with God's people in the temple. Now, like I said, we don't know a whole lot about why he was having to miss out on worship. We just know that he was. Uh, the sons of Korah, who were the ones that wrote this psalm, uh, which you can see by the inscription right at the beginning of the psalm, uh, the sons of Korah were temple workers. Now, they didn't function as high priests and the kind of people you think of in the temple, but they did other jobs like serve as the doorkeeper or lead the procession in, as you can hear that this man has done before. Uh, but again, they didn't serve as priests in the temple. This is kind of, uh, kind of like people in the church today who serve as greeters or who serve in the kitchen ministry or any of the other many jobs and committees that we have around here. They spent their days doing things like that. And this guy kept away from it. He's having a hard emotional time with it. Uh, the reason that he misses the temple is that that's where God's presence dwelled during that era. If you wanted to be in a special way with God's presence, you had to go to the temple. That's where he rested his glory and his name, which rested especially on the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the very center of the temple in the Holy of Holies. And he couldn't go there. And so he's sad. Now, uh, we can relate to that uh, because the, the Spirit of God dwelled in the temple in a special way. Today, he doesn't dwell in special buildings or in special places. No, he dwells where the people of God are gathered. And so our sanctuary, which for me is just a, you know 50 or so feet that way, 
Uh, our sanctuary right now isn't a holy building because the people of God aren't gathered there. No, Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with you. So on normal Sundays, when we get to be together and we're gathered in his name, well, then he is there with us. Then it becomes sacred space. So it's not the place that we're longing for, it's the people that he dwells with that we're longing for. That's who you can't be with right now because of the catastrophes going on outside. That's where we wish we were. That's where we can relate to what he is doing. We want to be with God's people worshiping. He's got a second problem as well, and that is that a threatening enemy lurks around outside. Uh, he says this in verse 3. Uh, he says in the second half of it, they say to me continually, where is your God? So some people are out there taunting him. We don't know who. Is he part of an army that's fighting another army? We, we really don't know. Uh, but whoever these people are, they're taunting him. And you can see in verses 9 and 10, he says in the second half of verse 9, why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? And then he says, it's like a deadly wound in his bones that his adversaries taunt him. He says, while well, they say to me continually, where is your God? So he's got people that are after him and are taunting him. And even in this dangerous, threatening situation, he longs for the refreshment of being with God's people in worship and he can't have the refreshment he longs for. Now, when we're going through hard times, what we long for most, what we should long for most and need the most is to be with God's people and worship and just sense God's presence there. Not only is he going through a really hard time, but he can't be gathered with God's people. And so that's why he says things like, my soul thirsts for God in verse two. When shall I come and appear before God? He wants to go to a place and appear before God. Now we can relate to that as well. We've got a threat outside and in this season we need even more than normal to turn to the Lord, to gather together and worship the Lord, except we can't. And so now here we are on Sunday morning gathered in small places and living rooms and dining room tables and places throughout the city, maybe even throughout the country, and we can't be with God's people. So the terrible situation we're in is very much like the terrible situation that this psalmist was in. Now, there are two differences I wanna point out when you're reading the Psalms and applying them to your life. You keep in mind two differences between the situation we are in and the situation they are in. And that's because God's people had a covenant with him in that day, the people of Israel, God had made a covenant with them. And God has made a new and better covenant with us, the church, with the people of God. Uh, and those two are different. And so the way that we would read these would be a little different than the psalmist would write them. Here are the two differences you need to keep in mind. They had physical enemies and they had hope in temporary deliverance. We have, on the other hand, spiritual enemies and hope for eternal deliverance. Let me, let me unpack that for you. Uh, so they had real 
physical enemies, like nations and sometimes traitors in their own nation who were after their lives. And so when they talk about swords and arrows, they're talking about real swords and real arrows who were after them. Uh, now, sometimes the people of God have real physical enemies, uh, but we don't look at them at the same way that the Israelites did following Jesus' teaching to love your enemies, pray for those who curse you. Uh, we don't look at them in the same way. We do, however, have enemies, spiritual enemies, right? Satan and his thrones, his armies, his minions are out to try to undo our faith, to try to prevent us from reaching the final destination that the Lord has prepared for us. They want to get in the way of that, and so they are after me. So where Israel had nations that were their enemies, uh, we have spiritual enemies. At the same time, uh, they had hope in temporary and physical deliverance. God had made promises to them. If you are faithful to me, I will deliver you in battle. If you are faithful to my covenant, uh, I will keep disease and pestilence from your land. I will flourish you in your land if you follow my ways. That was the covenant he had made with his people. The covenant he did with us is different. He doesn't promise temporary flourishing, that you will flourish in this world if you keep this covenant he has made with you. He also doesn't promise to keep disease and pestilence away from you, nor does he promise you victory in physical battles if you are a soldier or if we are ever under attack. What he promised us is better. He promises us eternal hope and eternal deliverance. That deliverance comes in the resurrection of the dead promised to us by Jesus Christ and guaranteed by his resurrection from the dead. So the way this covenant would work then is for those of us that have our faith in Jesus Christ, we aren't afraid of the plague that's going on outside, nor would we be afraid of a physical attack, nor would we be afraid of poverty or riches or anything like this, because we know that however this ends, when we die, the Lord guarantees that he will raise us up from the dead. So we've got an eternal hope rather than a hope in temporary deliverance and flourishing that the Old Testament saints and believers had. Now, those of them that looked forward to the Messiah could also look forward to all these things as well. But often in the Psalms, they're writing about that temporary deliverance, which we won't experience until Jesus returns and we are raised from the dead. That's going to become very important. You will be delivered from your enemies, Christian. But it's not the Amalekites, it's Satan and his minions. And it's not necessarily today, it's when Jesus comes back and you are raised from the dead. Keep that in mind as you interpret and read all of these Psalms. So those are the problems that he had. Uh, he was under attack by enemies and in that season of darkness, he was not able to gather with the people of God. Here's how he handled them. First, he comforted himself as he was pouring his soul out with memories of being gathered with God's people, which you should do as well. Let's look at verse 4 and we'll see him doing that. These things I remember, he said, as I pour out my soul. See him remembering. He's using the memory of it. Here's what he's remembering. How I would go out with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festivals. So he's got those vivid memories that he's looking back on while he is weeping, while he is mourning, missing those times in worship. 
I gotta tell you, I am missing a number of those things already. I'm filming this on Thursday, looking forward, knowing that Sunday will come, and I will not get up early and uh, get here early and start working again, refreshing myself on the sermon, and then I, I won't hear you guys starting to walk in the doors, and then I won't get to shake your hands, I won't get to look you in the eye. Uh, I won't get to hear one of my favorite sounds of the whole world, which is all of you guys gathered together singing. This church sings out, and I love that, but I won't get to hear it this Sunday. Uh, not only that, but when I step up into the pulpit and I look out to you guys, and I see you looking at me, not eager to hear what I've got to say, but wanting to know what this book has to say, it is a comfort to my soul every week. And I just wonder how many weeks are going to go by that I'm not going to get that. How long will it be until I hear again the sound of you guys turning your pages anytime I reference a scripture I'm about to quote because you want to get there and you want to read it yourself because you're focused on the book and not on me. Uh, I love these things, church, and I'm not going to get to see them or hear them for so long. But what I can do is comfort myself with the memory of those things until God brings us together again. There are probably things that you love about our gatherings that you're not getting to experience right now. Uh, look to those things and comfort yourself with those memories. The second thing that he does is he coaches himself with hope. He talks directly to himself, almost sounds crazy, like a person addressing himself comforting himself with the truth, coaching himself with the truth. He repeats this phrase in verse 5 and then again in verse 11. Uh, and then you see him do it again in verse 5 of Psalm 43 too. They, they kind of flow together like that. Here's what he says in any of those verses, 5 or 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? You hear him talking to himself. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's talking to himself like a football coach talks to a lineman. Uh, it almost sounds funny to me, but he's got to do it. Uh, and you've got to do this to yourself too. You have to coach yourself in seasons of loneliness like this. Too often, you want to listen to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Uh, but what you have to do Instead of listening to all the emotions in your heart, uh, instead of following your heart whichever way it wants to lead you, you must coach your heart with the truth. Now consider this psalmist. He is in many ways experiencing right and good emotions, but in some ways he's experiencing things he, he should not, there are things that should not be in his heart that are there. For instance, he longs to be with the people of God and be before God himself. That's good, right? But mixed with that is he's cast down and he shouldn't be. He's losing his sense of hope and he should not. So he's got this mix of good things in his heart and not good things in his heart. What he is doing is coaching that with the truth and saying, okay, this is good, this is not. So it is so good that you're longing for God's presence right now, but why are you cast down? You shouldn't be doing that. That's what you've got to do too. Don't listen to everything your heart is telling you. No, instead, you've got to tell your heart the truth, correct it where it must be corrected, and encourage what must be encouraged. That's what he is doing here. This is especially true that you might need to do this when you're in times of loneliness, which many of us are in. Some of you are working from home and you don't normally do that. So we're having to do 
this like church-like thing that's not even church from home, right? We can't really gather with God's people because we're, we're alone right now. Uh, you need even more to coach yourself. One of the best ways you can do this is by committing the passages you need to memory so that you can say them over and over again. Uh, you may need to memorize Psalm 23 or Psalm 91, perhaps. Uh, Psalm 46, which today's liturgy was based on. Psalm 42, which we're reading now. Revelation 21 and 22, maybe. Uh, or Romans 8, any little pieces from those. Just little you know, snippets of verses that you can quote to yourself when they say things that you need to hear right now. You can tell he must have this thing to memory because of how he repeats it throughout his day and even throughout his composition. There are probably some words from the scriptures, probably from some of those ones that I just mentioned, that you need to hear multiple times in the week ahead. So it'd be good to commit them to memory now so that you can do that. The third thing is he does. He comforts himself with memories not just of the gathering with God's people, but of God himself. Uh, you can see him do this in verses 6 and 8. He says in verse 6, My soul is cast down within me, and therefore I remember you. Right? Not just being with your people, but you, a person of God, he remembers and dwells on. And at verse 8, he says, By day the Lord, the person, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So God is in some way where he keeps the song with me. The Lord is still working and blessing him, even though it's not the same as being with his people. I praise with you in the same way right now in your home or wherever you are. But he's got to point his eyes to the person of God and the person of Jesus. You must do this too. Uh, that is why it's so important to do what you're doing today and the way you're walking through this home liturgy so that your soul can be pointed to God in a time of great distress. Let all these activities we're doing as you scroll through this website and flip through this book, let those activities point you to the person of God. Fourth, and the last thing he does, he complains to God about it. Look at verses 9 and 10. You can see him doing that. Verse 9 says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? So he asks questions. Why is this like that? And then in verse 10, he, he gives the statement, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, Where is your God? So here's my problem, God. He's saying it to him. God, why is it like this? He is saying, You should complain to God in a season like this. Now there is a line here, right? What you should not do is you should not fault God for what is happening right now. But it is okay to ask why, just as the psalmist does here. And it is okay to bring your complaints to him. In fact, you should follow the lead of the psalmists and do these things. So it would not be okay to accuse God of wrong in this plague and pestilence that is going through our land. But it would be good and right to ask God why. I don't imagine you know or understand why what is happening is happening. But God, why? How long? These are good questions to ask him. Bring those emotions to the Lord 
as you walk through them. Last thing I want to look at is the eternal hope that he coaches himself with. Uh, This is perhaps the best message I can proclaim to you today. Uh, He says three different times, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me, right? And then he has his hope. This is verse 5 or verse 11, or you can scan down to verse 5 in Psalm 43. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the person of God, Jesus Christ, is his hope. He's got his hope there. And in two particular things, God is going to save him and he is going to praise God, standing before God in his presence again. And Christian, the word gives you the same assurance today. Now, I hope the day comes soon when we can meet back together in that sanctuary again. Uh, But the word promises to us that even if that doesn't happen, even if not all of us are there on that day, he will save us and he will deliver us. Remember earlier I said uh, we have an eternal hope because of the covenant that God has made to us. That eternal salvation looks like our resurrection from the dead because it was guaranteed by Christ Jesus. He died to offer payment for our sins so that we don't have to pay for our sins. And now we don't have to fear death anymore. We can hope in our salvation, Jesus. And not only that, he rose from the dead to guarantee our resurrection, church. And so we can look forward with this hope and say, so why why are you cast down right now? Why are we sad right now? We can look to God and hope in God knowing that he will save us. This plague will not kill any of us eternally. It may kill some of us temporarily, but it cannot do so eternally because even the grave itself cannot hold us down. Jesus Christ is our salvation. Place your hope in him. And when he does raise you from the dead, you will praise him gathered together with God's people.